And let's pray. Father, do help us now to learn what it is to live by your spirit and give us the way ahead that we might walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I want to talk about power to live well. Lots of people want to live better, better lives. They're dissatisfied in some way with themselves, with their lives as they currently stand. Some are dissatisfied perhaps because they want to get more, uh, more money, more respect, more love, more power, more freedom, more satisfaction in one way or another. Others um, are dissatisfied because they want to escape things that pain them. The traumas of the past, the addictions of the present, toxic relationships or situations, fears or anxieties about the future. Last week, if you were here, we had Paul's cry of dissatisfaction, of wretchedness even, at the end of Romans 7. Here it is again. He says, In my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of, that, of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? So Paul doesn't feel wretched because he can't get enough money or enough girls or enough you know, money, a corner suite in the office, a kind of high enough promotion. Uh, nor does he feel wretched because he's kind of wounded by trauma or plagued by illness. Rather, Paul is wretched because he finds he cannot live by the law of God that he knows is good. So I find, he says, this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. He says, so then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, in my flesh, a slave to the law of sin. This, as we saw last week, is Paul's sketch of the default human condition, the fallen human condition. It is a wretched situation, not just for Paul, but for indeed all of us. But today we come to chapter 8, in which Paul outlines the next thing he wants us to know as Christians, that there is new power. There is new power to live well that God has given through his Son and through his Spirit. This living well is not living the high life, Uh, full of the pleasures of the world, nor is this new life a completely healed life here and now, as if we can be free from the pains of trouble and death and decay. Rather, this new life is a life that can become a holy life, where we can begin to answer the call of God's law to live in love. So today, what I want to look at is firstly what God has done to make this life Possible, And then secondly, what we do to make this life actual. So let's begin with what God has done. To make it possible for us to live well, to live in love, God has sent his Son and his Spirit. So firstly, God has sent his Son. Uh, Paul's problem, which, as I said, is our problem too, is that God's law can win his admiration, but not his obedience, because the flesh... 
this term Paul uses, controls what he does. Now, the flesh is Paul's way of naming that thing in us which loves sin and resists God, that place in us from which our perverted, our crooked, our wrong, our unhappy desires spring. And Paul says in verse 7 of chapter 8, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. That's the nature of the flesh. It's hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Now, when Paul talks about the flesh, he's not talking about our human physicality, the fact that we're bone and blood and, and muscle, nor is he even talking about our bodily appetites, the fact that we hunger and thirst and have various you know, urges and needs. The flesh, rather, is our bent towards doing wrong. It's the fact that we fall into envy. It's the fact that we are, from time to time, overcome, perhaps, by anger. It's the fact that we choose to speak spitefully. We choose it. And there's a hundred other things we could perhaps think of or name, ways in which we are bent towards doing wrong. Now, God sends his son to break the power of the flesh by his death. This is said in chapter uh, 8, verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. This offering was made when Jesus went to his death on the cross. His self-offering to God. Paul has said the same thing in different words in chapter 6, verse 6. Let me remind you of those which we had not so many weeks ago. Paul says, Our old self, that is the human ruled by the flesh, our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So the death of Jesus both dealt with God's wrath against our transgression, but also dealt with the reign that sin exercises in our flesh, in our human fallenness, in our sinful nature. And so, says Paul, what Jesus did or what God did through Jesus was that he condemned sin in the flesh. And what does that result in? Where does that lead? Why does that happen? Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. For God intends us to live well, that is to fulfil his law, to meet its righteous requirement. What is that requirement? Well, happily for us in Romans 13, Paul sums it up in this way. Let me kind of jump ahead and read from Romans 13. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except for the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. The core of the change that God intends to bring about in us is that we live lives that, at their heart, spring from, are motivated and animated by love. God's not into rules for their own sake. 
All his rules, all his laws serve the one law, the law of love. Love of God, love of others. So faithful marriage is love of neighbour. Refusing murder and refusing all acts of a malicious and destroying nature is love of neighbour. Curbing your desire for what others have and learning contentment is love of neighbour. This is what God intends for us. And in sending his son, he opens the way for us to live this way. But there is a second thing that God has done uh, in addition to sending his son to make this possible. That is, God has sent his spirit. Verse 9. You, however, you Christian believer, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. Now, an alternative, and I think a slightly better translation is this. You, however, are not in the realm of this flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, since indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. I think there is confidence there that the Spirit of God does live in you and you are indeed in the realm of the Spirit. Because God's Spirit lives in us who are believers, we are described as those who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Our minds are turned then towards what the Spirit desires, towards what the Spirit wants, the things that belong to the Spirit, that come from the Spirit, that characterise the Spirit. So what are these competing preferences? What does the flesh desire? What does the Spirit desire? There is a very helpful parallel passage to this in Galatians 5. And so I'm going to dip into Galatians 5 to flesh this out a bit. So... In Galatians 5, we read the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. There is a little sketch of the worst of the acts of the flesh. This is the direction they go This is the territory they love and mark out for themselves. But what about the things of the Spirit? What does the Spirit desire? The fruit of the Spirit, says Galatians 5, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so back in Romans 8, verse 6, the mind governed by the flesh is death. That is, it leads only to death. It dulls, deadens, destroys, ruins. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So where does this leave Christians? By his Spirit, Christ is in us. And verse 10, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. So we're in a situation where, to be sure, we live our mortal lives in the world of death and decay. We face life in all its stages of growth and decay, with all its pains and thorns along the way. But in the midst of all that, God has implanted his spirit of life in us. And 
The life of God is in us, and that life opposes the flesh and enables righteousness. It enables love. It overcomes, in the end, even our mortality and promises us resurrection life. Verse 11, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. And so the crucial work for this new life to live better has been done. It's been done by God. He has been the deliverer and the life giver. He sent both his son to redeem us and his spirit to set us free. We come secondly then to our part. Our part is to live by the spirit and not by the flesh. To pursue the life that God has given to us and makes possible for us. Chapter 8 of Romans verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, it is entirely possible for a Christian to, to go on living in some fashion according to the flesh. This is a danger that Paul warns against. Again, if we go back to Galatians 5. You, my brothers and sisters, he says, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. There is a life we have to turn away from, which is still open to us. Living by the Spirit then must be consciously pursued and embraced. Galatians 5 again. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, we could wish, wouldn't we all, that God would arrange things so we didn't have to do any of this hard work or this, you know, applying ourselves to keeping in step with the Spirit. We wouldn't have to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Wouldn't that be kind of preferable? But we do need to do these things. And it may not get easier as life goes on. Uh, I think the longer you've been a Christian, the more you realise that this struggle is not one that ends, or get, even gets easier. It's like playing a video game. I don't know how many you know, Mario worlds you've conquered, but um, in a video game, level one is pretty easy. But, you know, you're a beginner player and you're not very good, and so you still lose lives. But as you play more and more of this video game, you sink your hours of your weekend into it, you get better. But the levels that you progress to get harder and so you still end up losing lives. You still find the game testing. Now, when you live by the Spirit, you might hope that you would get good at it, right? That you would tame that tongue, tame it good and proper forever. That you would just feel more love for others day by day, week by week, year by year. That you would care less about the status symbols the magazines advertise to you and find more joy and peace and patience and kindness just kind of welling up in you and you'd stay away from those bad habits. 
but perhaps to our dismay, we seem to get no better. And in some ways, we might feel like we're actually doing worse. New sins emerge in our lives, which we never had to deal with before. Old ones just won't leave us alone. Some comments on this situation. Firstly, life is constantly changing on us. It is throwing up new situations which we have to deal with. David Seckham, who you may remember has preached here before, wrote a commentary on Romans, which I consulted. He had this great observation that the challenges of life are forever new. That is, we are tested by more complex situations, one that we've never had to deal with before. And when we're 40, there are more different challenges in our lives than when we were 20. And perhaps we're hampered by more weaknesses and carrying more scars of the years at 70 than we were at 40. And so life goes on being testing as we go through its many paths. There are always new twists, turns, thorns, rocks that we have to deal with and we aren't necessarily much, much better at doing it. Perhaps if we look back, we have made progress. It doesn't mean we're on top of things now. Now, the second observation I want to make is that stagnation can be displaced by fresh growth. Because perhaps we do stall, and perhaps you feel like you have stalled, and you've made no progress on certain fronts for a very long time. Perhaps you've even fallen into a hole that you just never thought you would fall into. You haven't got out of it yet. And we or others might know, we might know, like can have a fresh wind of the Spirit blow into our lives, even after years of seeming not much happening. Even though everything might seem stuck and hopeless now, don't give up and think, oh, nothing can be different now. It can. The Lord is able to blow a fresh wind into any life. Thirdly, and perhaps most importantly and centrally, we do need to depend on God and to seek him. It is not by wisdom that we put to death the misdeeds of the body. We don't master and implement a set of principles or a clutch of habits in order to live well now. Nor is it by willpower that we put to death the misdeeds of the body. It's not by mutual encouragement and accountability that we do this. It is by the Spirit. It is by the Spirit that we live and change. And this is why Paul says in Romans 6.13, which we had a few weeks ago, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer yourselves to God. And he's going to go on and say in Romans 12.1, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship. Now, wisdom and principles, habits, mutual encouragement, resolution, these things may have their place, but this new life must be lived by the Spirit, which means by the help and power of God. God is wise, but he is not a principle of wisdom. God is strong, but he is not a technique of power. And as we will see, come next Sunday, the story continues, 
as we will see next Sunday, what the Spirit does for us most deeply and most centrally is to enable us to cry out to God, Abba, Father. By the Spirit, we draw near to God. We know him as Father and we become his children. And that is where the power to be different lies, that we, by the Spirit, know God as Father and become his children. This is how we are changed and live new lives. So if you seek power to live well, to live in love, to walk in the way of life and peace, know that God has sent his Son and his Spirit to make this possible for you. And so attend to God. Offer yourself to him. Because he is the one who has poured out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And the Holy Spirit may be a slow burn in your life, but this burn will not gutter out. It will not extinguish, even if it seems quiet. By him, you can live. You will live, and you can live well. You can live in love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gift of your Son whose death broke the power of sin and condemned sin in the flesh so that the flesh might not rule us anymore. We thank you for the gift of your Spirit who governs our life for life and peace. And so, Lord, we pray that you would teach us to walk by the Spirit, to give ourselves to what the Spirit desires, to learn to live lives of love that fulfil your call to us. Lord, we pray for those who might be discouraged by their own lives or the lives of others where no, no change seems to be happening or even to be possible. We pray that you would Keep us faithfully seeking the power of your spirit for change. We thank you, Lord, for the encouragements we do have, that lives, our lives and lives of others, where we, we reflect that they are different, they have been turned around, they are uh, blessed by life and peace in you. And so, Lord, help us each day to offer ourselves to you as instruments, Lord, of righteousness. We pray this. In Jesus' name. Amen.